Good morning, everybody. This is your host, Sophia Nelson, and welcome to the One America podcast. I have a great guest today. He's been with us before, Mr. Butch Porter. He's the co-founder of IND Ed Academies in Leesburg, Virginia, and I'll let him talk about that a little bit at the end of the program. Butch, how are you today? I'm good. I can't complain. It wouldn't help. <laughs> well, <laughs> you know, we are about to enter the holidays, and uh, Thanksgiving is around the corner, and then sure. This year has gone pretty fast. It's been an interesting year. A lot to talk about today. Um, first and foremost, I'd like my listeners to know my guest. Tell us a little bit about what you do and a little bit about your background. Well, I'm an educator. Uh, several years ago, I created a company called Independent Education, Inded for short, in Leesburg. And we've done micro school programs. We've done a little tutoring. Uh, right now, we're... we're uh, uh, formulating and, and creating a high school alternative in Luckett's, which is just a village just a little bit north of us in, Le- in Leesburg. And, um, and I also teach at a, at a, um, at a, uh, my parish school, which is about an hour south of me. So I'm, I'm, I'm busy trying to mold young minds. That's what I, that's what I do. Well, I appreciate that. And that's one of the big reasons I wanted to have you on um, because you're in the education system in the business, you were looking at alternative ways to educate our children and, like you said, grow young minds and turn them into great leaders. We just had a big election here in the Commonwealth of Virginia. I heard about it. Yeah. Yes. And uh, education was at the heartbeat of it. Uh, I think there were other issues, of course, but let's be honest, you and I live in Leesburg, Loudoun County, Virginia, which is ground zero, as I like to call it, for the culture wars. That's my term. And uh, the culture wars, of course, by that I mean where people are focused on the things that are those issues around race, gender, identity, uh, culture, class, all those things. And I think that people thought the culture wars left us in the 80s or the 90s, and they seem to be back. So I want to know what your thoughts are on this critical race theory uh, discussion. Okay. Is that real? Is that actually happening? Talk to us about that. And then kind of give me your thoughts on why the election turned out as it did and how Mr. Youngkin was able to uh, bring in a whole ticket as well as the Republican legislature now. It flipped. Sure, it did. Um, well, I'll start with the, the CRT conversation. I think it's an important one to have. Um, and I think the best way for me to start it is to begin with the with the two narratives that we've heard from the media about it. And, and it's no offense against the people who are saying these things. I understand they have a job to do. They have a narrative they're trying to promote and everybody's, you know, got a living to make, et cetera, et cetera. But I think the narrative from the left and from Democrats on the CRT position is the CRT issue, especially here in Loudoun County has been disingenuous and the narratives go, Uh, One of two ways. Number one is we're told that they can't teach CRT in schools. Of course, they don't teach CRT CRT in in K-12 schools because it's not even an undergraduate course. It's a law school course, right? So they don't actually teach CRT. That's one narrative. The other one is, and I'll get to that, but the the other one is that all CRT is is just teaching kids to be aware of race, and not uh, buy into a whitewashed, overly, uh, you know, uh, sanctified and, uh, and uh, rosy view of American history and to know the, the struggles that, that um, minorities and, and uh, the disadvantage went through, uh, um, uh, especially blacks and, dis- and, and indigenous peoples in our founding. So on the first topic, you know, the first you know, narrative, the one where CRT is taught in law school, I just think it's a disingenuous, it's a rhetorical play, right? It's actually, it's actually kind of a, it's, it's a bait and switch sort of trick, right? And parents are not concerned about their kids being taught legal theories in classes, right? That's not, that's not what parents are concerned about. What they're concerned about is being taught a worldview that basically which which incorporate the conclusions of something like CRT, right? And I don't really need to get into whether CRT is good or bad in that front. I think I think there are some things in critical race theory which 
are relevant and we should talk about and we should explore. And if we were talking about learning about CRT, uh, even at an elementary level, say in, in, and I mean elementary as in basic level in like a, you know, a government class in 10th or 11th grade, Mm-hmm. But that's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about is is teaching kids that race is a central part of their identity. And that is a part that is the part of critical race theory, which me and a lot of other people completely disagree with. It's not a healthy way to approach the topic, especially with young kids. I mean, we've, we've spent a lot of time trying to deracialize things. And uh, this crowd seems to think it's a good idea to re-racialize things and let me put a pin on that for a moment because explain that because i again um i like to give both sides on this podcast that's important to me and and i'm gonna let you talk but i want to understand what give me an example of re-racializing or what it is exactly that they're telling children uh, and i'm presuming caucasian children all children but the caucasian children are being impacted at least from everything that i've heard um, what what is it that they're telling them? Are they telling them that they're bad people? What are they saying? For real, I mean. Well, well, well. First off, I'm not I'm not just concerned about white children being told this. I'm concerned about black children being told this too. Okay. And what and what they're being told is that because of the color of one's skin, they either a are oppressors or b have been oppressed. Mm. And and I, there there's and it doesn't mean that there isn't historical or even current racism. That's not what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. And no one is act. No one actually thinks that. No one in Loudoun County, least of all the ones who are who are objecting to this this you know uh, approach, um, thinks that there isn't such a such thing as racism in the United States. See, the problem is is there's a there's a premise at play, and the premise at play, Sophia, is that um, our kids heretofore have been taught you know some 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 whitewashed version of history and they don't know anything about African-Americans and their plight and slavery and Jim Crow and Harriet Tubman or any of that. Well, none of that's true. Look, Sophia, I grew up in, in the 80s in Shreveport, Louisiana. <laughs> okay. And I didn't get a, you know, in, in, in most, in, for most of my life in a predominantly white, you know, kind of suburban school. And I didn't get a, you know, uh, I, I was, I was told about racism and Jim Crow and all those things. None of those things escaped my education. So to to pretend in 2021 that kids are not being taught about slavery and and the plight of African Americans uh, in American history and Indigenous peoples as well is just folly. It's not true. So so the the premise is there's something that needs to be corrected and i object to the premise okay so so and if you if there was something to be corrected the last thing we want to do is is tell little second graders or fifth graders or whatever that because they're white then they have something that they should be ashamed of or because they're black they'll never make it in life i know i'm I'm giving you an extreme no no you know interpretation of that and i'm sure it's never said that way but that's and, and look it doesn't matter if they even say it explicitly, Sophia. I mean, look, I teach at a Christian school. Are we always, I mean, at, we're teaching literature and history and science and all those sorts of things. We're not talking about uh, God and the Bible 100% of the time, right? But when we do talk about literature and history and science and, and, and language, we're, we're talking about it with a certain framework a certain mindset a, a phronema would be the greek term it's a it's a way we look at the world it's the way we frame our existence it's the way we we think about what it means to be a human being and all of that is it it it, it inculcates and incorporates into a christian education if it's being done right and so by the same token if your school if your teachers are being trained we have a you know half a million dollar receipt that shows that loudon county was paying somebody a bunch of money to train teachers in critical race theory, CRT, capitalized. And if we're training our teachers to think in those terms and to talk in those terms and to pedagogically design their curriculums with those things in mind, then the result is going to be an education which reflects that mindset. And that is what we object to. And I say we because I'm included, right. uh, but that's what the parents in Loudoun County object to. 
Sure. So that's a great segue into what I want to happen to you because there seems to be a debate in our country right now about which direction we're going to head in relative to how we not just teach and explain history and historical figures and whether or not, you know, we're going to not just remove Confederate monuments, we which we have done certainly here in the wealth and, and throughout much of the South, but also there are even people now who want to take down Thomas Jefferson or George Washington, and we'll get to that. But there's one school of thought that uh, every company has to have a diversity statement. Every university has to have a diversity statement. Every school a board has to have a diversity statement or a diversity policy. And so it seems to me, Butch, uh, what I'm seeing through the lens of a black woman, you through the lens of a white man, is that we live in the same world. We're age cohorts. I'm older, but we're in the same generation. And mm-hmm. basically what we're seeing is, is that heretofore, quote unquote, marginalized groups or minority groups, um, if that's the way you want to explain them, they want their seat at the table. They want to be seen, heard, dealt with on equal terms, right? And so what they're saying is, okay, we need these protections because otherwise this systemic racism and all these other evils will come to play. And of course, the other side objects to that and thinks that that is ridiculous, all the things that we believe in the United States. So I'd like to know how you see that um, within the groups, then the diversity statements, which is, you know, another offshoot of what we're going to teach in schools. How, how do you see that playing out with the diversity statements and the mandates in corporate, et cetera? That's a, that's a lot, Sophia. I, I'll tell you this, that um, I think diversity and inclusion, it's like a lot of things. I mean, you know, I used to think environmentalists were crazy until and, and until, you know, uh, the last 20 years of the climate change sort of so now that, you know, carbon dioxide is a pollutant and I, I'm scratching my head wishing for the old environmentalists. <laughs> um, so by the same token, I think, um, you know, I used to be very skeptical of diversity and inclusion. And now I, I'm, I, I'm actually more supportive of the concept. The problem is is that what starts as diversity inclusion very quickly, and sometimes it's snuck in later, and this is what's happened with, uh, if, you know, some friends of mine in the corporate world, they'll throw in the word equity uh, a little later on. They have a diversity inclusion task force, and they're doing things, and they're talking about different points of view, and everybody, like you said, having a seat at the table and getting along and contributing, and, you know, the more diverse viewpoints you have, the more, you know, the more uh, ways you can tackle things, and the more, uh, types of people you can reach, et cetera, et cetera, as clients. And and then somehow somebody, you know, sneaks in equity. And that's where that's where I believe it sort of all starts to break down. Um, and it's complicated, but just think of it this way. Diversity means diversity of, well, what? I mean, diversity of race, gender, sexual orientation, what else? Talents, uh, origin. Should uh, mean faith. It should mean all of that. Well, geography. Sure. Um, yep. You so, know. Um, I mean, so so if you if you want to, you know, uh, what about religious affiliation? Yeah. What about? Uh, I mean, so there's a lot of diversity can mean a lot of things, and if if your definition of diversity is people of different colors that all believe the same thing, then you know. I have questions, right? So I'm all about diversity if it's actual diversity. So diversity of ideas is what's important. Like, for instance, you know, Christian professors should be not discriminated against because they're Christian. If I just had to pull a random example out of it. Yeah, I know. So, I know. Why so, I'm just, look, <laughs> so I'm just, so I'm just saying that, that uh, diversity is great and inclusion and diversity kind of run hand in hand, right? But then when you throw when you throw equity in, what happens is you negate diversity and you destroy inclusion. Right. Yeah. Because what happens is equity means that everybody has to be the same. Everybody has to have equal talents, equal everything, talk equal the, pay, talk the same, equal, all of it. Yes. Yes. So you can't have diversity and equity, which means 
that whoever is making decisions about diversity, inclusion, and inequity at that point has full totalitarian control of the conversation. Because you haven't Here, defined stop. your... Put you a pen. Ha- the Oprah moment. Stop. Go Very ahead. important what you said. Listeners, listen to me. We're having a conversation with Mr. Butch Porter. He is clearly conservative. He's clearly a white male. He and I are talking. We are good friends. We are neighbors. We live in the same community. He's an educator. And um, I respect his point of view. It doesn't have to be mine. And I want you guys to hear what he's saying. And I want you to have the courage to listen. And I want you to hear what he's saying that anytime, and this is important, that we have, what's the word I'm looking for? What he's saying is diversity is good. All of that's important. We all embrace that. But when we start trying to guarantee outcomes or equality, therein is where we run into problems. Did I hear you right? Is that what you're saying? That's that's true. And and I would also say that diversity means different things, I think, to some than it does others. Right. So let me ask you this. If you have a room full of African-American women, uh, is that a diverse uh, is that a diverse group of people? It can be, depending on how you look at it, because we could all be black women, but you know, none of us are going to be purebreds in the room. I say that with a big smirk on my face, because half of us are going to be mixed race. Some are going to have Native American and African American. You're going to have racially diverse black people in the same room. Some that are ladies that that clean hotels at night. You know, you could have a diversity of a group. So yeah, you could be monolithically the same, right? Because right. we're all black women, but we're really not all. Okay, same. but if you had a room full of middle-aged white men, is that a diverse group? It, absolutely, for the same reason those black yeah, women. That's right. Absolutely. So I just don't, and I know that's because I'm, you know, I'm, I'm an oppressor or whatever. I get the check for my white patriarchal, you know, <laughs> power every month or whatever. And I understand that. I get it. I'm checking it and all that. But I'm just trying to look at this rationally, like I'm trying to look at it objectively. And if you look at it objectively, I can't come to a conclusion that diversity of race, ethnicity, um, you know, uh, I guess what age, gender and sexual orientation covers all the things. Right. Because, look, I I have I have more in common with an African-American Southern Baptist as far as my upbringing and understanding of how the world works than I do with a white uh, New Yorker uh, Catholic, you know, raised on the Upper East Side uh, who, you know, is sipping lattes and, and, and describing me as, as some Neanderthal because I don't vote the way he wants me to. Mm-hmm. I'm going to get along with the African-American Southern Baptist a lot more because we have a very similar viewpoint of what it means to be a human being. Yeah. And that's in that. And Sophia, I cannot say this enough. I don't, I don't think we have fully grasped what the implications are for telling someone that their number one identity is their skin color, that their number one identity, their number one like definition as, as their person or their sexuality is their whatever. sexual orientation. I don't buy it. I think it's a bad idea. And I know that that's because I'm white, cisgendered and male and Southern and all that stuff. But I just, I, it does not match up with how millions and millions of Americans actually understand what it means to be a human being. And I said it to you on my podcast a few weeks ago, I'm a bigger fan, big fan of Heather Hines, uh, you know, position. And that is you come to me as a human being first and, individual second and then and only then once you've done that we can talk about what tribes we're in but i think in we we are not treating people like individuals that's what the problem with the and we can move on to other things and because i know you got other topics you want to cover about the election but when you when you get when you get right down to it what we're talking about is a different way that we view humanity And I, you know, until someone can prove to me that the most important quality of a human being is whatever political group, whether whether it is it is a group, whether it is something you were born with or something you chose, it could be your sex, your race or your ethnicity or your religion. 
I mean, if everything you are as a human being has to be put into one of those groups first before we decide, you know, what to do with you, I'm just going to disagree. I just don't think that's a that's a healthy way of looking at 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 uh, humanity. So let's unpack that because that's good, and I actually agree with you. As you know, we've talked about it many times, and let's switch a little bit to cancel culture because that's what we're in, and that's what we're talking about in this podcast through this series. And of course. Sure. Everybody knows by now about what happened to me at Christopher Newport University, where I asked a question on Twitter about the new bisexual Superman son character and uh, respectfully asked, thoughtfully asked, got some really good engagement actually on Twitter, had a whole feed about the over-sexualization of children, which is my whole point. And then I came under vicious and I underscore the word vicious. It's probably just starting to sink in for me a month later with how viciously I've, I've been attacked and, and, and assaulted as a human being to your point and, and labeled and skanked up and smeared and just lied on. And, and it's conscionable that on a college campus, people would take something that I did on Twitter and instead of debate me on the platform of ideas and say, Hey, I don't agree with that. Let's talk about it. And, you know, you see it this way. Let me help you see it that way, which is what I think we should always try to do when we don't agree or share the same opinions or even the same life view, faith view, whatever. And instead, to your point, what's happening is the woke police, and I'm going to keep using that term, and I know it's really pissing off my black friends and my my more liberal friends, my progressive friends, but you're going to get over it because I'm going to keep using it the same way I'm going to call out the January 6th insurrectionist assholes, and I'm going to have problems with both of them. And so at the end of the day, I'm going to say woke because... When you're so woke that you can't handle a question on Twitter and you take that into somebody's workplace where they have thrived and done well and they're well liked and they're doing good work. And then you use it to do a hit job on them and then you get petitions and then you start protesting and you calling them a racist. Yes, a black woman is a racist now and you calling them names and you done skanked them all up. Right, right, right. That's what you're talking about here. That one point of view that says, I, Sophia Nelson, am an outcast. I should be shamed and banned because I don't buy hook, line, and sinker this sense of community, this sense of uh, diversity as it's defined relative to sexuality. And if somehow I, as a Christian, my entire life, and as a devout Christian, and I practice what I preach in the way I live my own life. I'm not out there doing things I shouldn't be doing. And if I can't raise a question, a thoughtful question without being destroyed for it, because I didn't fit into the box, we have a problem. And I'd really like to get your thoughts on how you see this, like I said, call it the wokeness, call it the diversity police, call it whatever you want. Um, how do you see people feeling about that? And, and where do you think we're headed with this cancel culture? Um. I don't know if you would have asked me three or four years ago, I would, I would have told you that it would have had to have been spent by now, but apparently I'm wrong. Although the Virginia election might point to the possibility that look, um, I mean, I have it on record, uh, you know, in, in various places that I'm not, uh, I don't have a lot of patience for people who want to get other people fired. Yep. I mean, if you were if you were a bisexual professor and a and a Christian professor wanted to get you fired, she would be wrong then too. So it wouldn't really matter to well, me. She laughed at she wouldn't have any power because Christians have. Yeah, of course she would. Yeah, but, of course um, she would. I mean, yeah. of course she would, and that's the point. Or if you wanted to get her fired, I mean, not switching positions, but just switching switching uh, you know positions in the conflict. I mean, they would laugh at you. There's no way you could get a bisexual professor fired because. You know, she made a comment on Twitter about a, uh, you know, about the son of Superman becoming a priest or whatever. Yep. I mean, it just wouldn't happen. Nope. So, so it's just not even. And, and the reason I, the reason I think we're having trouble is that we're, we may not even really know what a religion is. Okay. And bear with me here. I'm, I'm not sure exactly how to parse this out, but I'm going to try real quickly. The truth is wokeism has all the trappings of a religion. Right. I mean, there is an original sin. There's, you know, uh, the only, I guess really the only um, thing that doesn't make it very religious is that there's very little redemption for somebody like me. Yep. Me, I mean, I suppose, apparently, don't feel bad. Me either. I suppose. But 
but no, I mean, there's there's high priest, there's redemption, there's I mean, there's there's you know an original sin, there's there's work that you have to do. I mean, I've heard conversations about things that we should do, I should do because I'm white, that sound a lot like prayer, right? That's that's the way the mindset is is a very religious mindset, and I think there's two things at play, and I'm going to throw them together. Uh, one, uh, and it all happens, you know, around the same time. One is we, uh, we have a, 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 a society that has been uh, stripped of, it, of, of any religious mores and, 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 uh, and, and anger. Uh, and I don't mean society as a whole necessarily, but the institutions at play here are ones in which, you know, a religious point of view is not welcome. And it's been that way for, especially higher education has been that way for, you know, decades now. And then we also have an over-sexualized culture. And you've, you've talked about that. Um, you put those two things together, what you get is a religion around sex. Mm. Because, look, and you don't have to be a Christian to understand this. I mean, I, and I don't, please don't take this the wrong way, but, you know, you're not the first professor to be canceled in these United States and or Canada. And let me tell you, no, um, literally. All, Hundreds of thousands of cases, literally. Yeah, almost all of them. Uh, you know, there's at least a dozen, let's just say, there's a dozen journalists, professors, you know, thinkers that have all been canceled and tossed out of what organizations they're, and they all have a sub stack and a contest and uh, a, a podcast now. And they're, they're the only people I listen to. Almost none of them are conservatives. Like, they're mostly not conservatives. They're mostly... They're mostly liberal center types who are serious about free speech and are amazed that given their liberal credos that they were tossed out of whatever organization they were in. Brett Weinstein or the Hind, you know, Jordan Peterson is not a conservative by any, any you know, uh, uh, I mean, he may be now, but he certainly wasn't at the beginning. But, you know, these people have all been, you know, uh, victims of cancel culture and some of them are making millions of dollars off of it. So, I mean, and these are the only people I care about listening to now, right? Because they're the only ones that are just, they're standing toward history and they're saying, look, we're, you know, whatever, whatever, you know, whoever's right, we have to actually talk about it. We have yeah. to actually have the conversation. Yeah. If you're not willing to have a conversation, you lose, period, right? And you may have the power and you may be able to get somebody else fired, but in the end, you're the one that's lost. And that's that's what people are discovering. And like, for instance, you know, Substack is a perfect example of a, an entire institution that's being formed around the rejects of journalism, like all you know, Barry Weiss and uh, and I can't my brain's not working, but there's like three or four of them and they all have Andrew Sullivan. And there's three or four more uh, that for either from The New York Times or prominent media outlets that have been booted and now. They're, you know, they're creating a new media institution based on free speech and free thought. There's an entire network of thought around it. And universities, look, University of Austin, Austin in Texas. Yeah. Uh, I, I was at a, you know, a little meeting a few weeks ago. I met those guys that, I mean, that's, that's a smart crew. And some of the same people I just named, like Jonathan Haidt and, and Jonathan Rausch, and these people are not conservatives, right? And some liberal guys who um, oh, what one of the names was a big name, like Lowry or um, Glenn, Glenn Lowry. Yeah, Glenn Lowry. Well, no, I, Glenn Lowry is the only conservative in the bunch. Yeah, like, and he's only sort yeah. of a conservative. He's a conservative yeah. economist, right? And right. but he voted for Obama. He was an Obama supporter, right? So I mean, you know, the thing is, there's hardly any conservatives on their board of advisors, and yet you post something about it on Facebook. And it's, oh, this is going to be Trump University 2.0 or whatever. I'm like, you guys are such, you just don't know what's happening. But this is an alternate, alternate institution. And there's going to be more of them. On the, on the more conservative side, there's a Ralston College down in Savannah, Georgia. They're starting from scratch with an online. It's, it's, it's very lean. It's very sharp. Yeah, it's I've, very, I've been I, contacted, as you can imagine, by a lot of people since all this has happened. And a lot more will happen. That's all. I'm yeah, gonna... there's more. There's more coming. Right. But, you know, I think cancel culture is one of the reasons why uh, the Virginia race went the way it did, not just I CRT agree. and the and the 
and the uh, and the you know the the gender uh, the gender issue, which was that was actually the main issue animating uh, Loudoun County. CRT was just something they kept throwing up and screwing up. To be honest, though, the reason why all that became easy, you know, to to make a campaign out of, uh, and Gwen Youngkin did a good did a good job, is that is that they had already spent the last year screwing up COVID. I mean, the school system had no credibility. They had no credibility doing the basic thing they were responsible for doing. And most of the LCPS can do better type stuff, the, you know, the real object, you know, the real people, the parents fighting the Loudoun County School Board. I mean, at first they weren't, they weren't even conservatives. They were, a lot of them were progressives because it was about their handling of COVID, which was piss poor and horrible. And so they already had little credibility. And then when they start stamping all this wokeism on top of their lack of credibility, what do you think is going to happen? Right. I mean, that, that's, it's not even hard. But, you know, let me t- say one quick thing. About- yeah, we're down here, so I want to get in at least another question. We're about 30 minutes in, so let's... Uh- Just let me say one quick thing about Glenn Youngkin. I watched Glenn Youngkin speak the other day, the victory speech, and I hadn't heard him very much. I don't, I try not to get involved in electoral politics anymore. It's not my jam. But, dude, I mean, he's boring. Like, I mean, Glenn Youngkin is a boring candidate in a variety of ways. And, Sophia, let me tell you something. That makes me extremely happy. Like, extremely happy. He's not an inspiring guy. He's just a, he's like a, he's like a, he's like what a Republican would have been like 20 or 30 years ago. Right? He's just a pretty smart you know competent the reason why i won the election is because he was competent he was disciplined he managed to not piss off the trump voters and still keep sane voters amazing he he won by plus 16 he won white women back 57 percent to discipline and if that's any indication of how he'll govern i'm all for it yeah that's all i have to say about that go ahead right so, so I agree. Um, I, I am hopeful that just because I like to see everybody succeed. If he's going to be the governor of the Commonwealth of Virginia, we need him to succeed, whether he's a Republican, Democrat, independent, because that's where we live. We want things to go well. So I wish him all the best. Uh, Winsome is a good friend of many years. Sure. He's way to the right of my politics, but I respect her. She's got a great life story. A Marine lost her daughter and her grandchildren in a horrible car accident a decade ago. I don't even know how the hell you get up out of your bed after something like that. Much yeah, I'm as as you know, in direct contrast to Glenn Youngkin, she's not boring. She's quite exciting. I yes. love her a lot. Yes. And then there's uh, the, the attorney general, Mr. Mayoris. And so I think, you know, the Republicans have an opportunity here to really grow some coalitions to govern from the center right, and we'll see how they do. But the last thing I really do want to end on, because again, we, we're talking about cancel culture, and we've touched on a lot of things. And folks, I have Butch on because he's always informative. He's going to give you information. He's going to make you think. He's going to challenge you. He's going to push you. He's definitely more conservative than I am on some things. But at the end of the day, um, I like hearing other people's perspective. I like to know how other people see things. And he and I do this all the time. We'll go, we'll have a bowl of soup. We'll sit down and we'll talk for hours. Uh, he was one of the first people I called when the whole thing was happening at Christopher Newport because I respect his opinion. And I knew that he would help me to frame my thoughts around what the real issue was, what I needed to do, how I needed to respond. And I want to thank you publicly for your help because the statement that I ultimately put out in my opening words were the words that you told me I needed to really think about opening, which which is my identity, which is in my faith and who I am as a human being. And my faith guides my humanity because it's how I treat people. It's how I respect people. It's how I want to be respected. It's all those things. And I really appreciate you. And I just wanted to say that. And I want to wrap it with uh, just again, where are we as we close out this year as Americans? And we w- I want to talk about uh, this um, citizenship and, you know, take the time you need within reason and, and talk about the importance of the public square and citizenship, but Jim, and what do we need to do to get this Republic? How do we come back together on some things being really divided and far apart? Well, um, I think there's a couple of things. Uh, first, 
we need to we need to turn off our televisions. Um, we need to stop watching network news. I stopped watching network news in 2004. Um, I knew where it was going and I didn't like it. And I was right. Um, don't watch network news like at all. <laughs> I mean, just don't, I mean, between Tucker Carlson and Rachel Maddow, uh, that's who gets the most love. Isn't that the- funny? Both ex- opposite extremes, both of them. Right. And they're, I mean, I lean towards Tucker because I lean that way, but I don't I don't really enjoy watching either one of them. And Rachel Maddow lies for a living, from my point of view. So <laughs> I, I just, I mean, literally, literally, you know, steel dossier, et cetera, et cetera. But the point is that stop watching network news and we, we need to start talking in person again. Yep. We can't depend on Twitter and Facebook to communicate anymore. It's not working. Amen. It's not working well. And if you think the look, here's the thing. Uh, let me let me pick on the local elected official for a second. Should I name her name or should I not? Uh, don't name her name. Just okay. Go. Well, I'm going to pick on a local official without naming names. There was a victory speech where she basically spent the entire speech talking about how dumb we were for not voting for for um, for Terry McAuliffe. Mm-hmm. And it occurred to me, and I know a few people like this. A few on my side, too, uh, I'll admit, that really don't like their opposition, right? Mm-hmm. So here's mm-hmm. a rule of thumb. If you're going to run for public office, if you think that half of your constituents are less than human, don't run for public office. I agree with that. That's just, that's just a rule of thumb. And I can think of at least two or three people right here locally who are elected officials who, who hate me because I don't support them politically. That's not the way this works. It's, it's never not the way this works. You cannot be, you cannot be a public servant. That's right. So, and and hate half your constituents, or think they're dumb, or think they're yep. fools, or think they're dupes, Deplor- or sheep, yeah. or or uh, deplorables. Right? It's not going to work. So that's one thing. Uh, so we got to get off Facebook. We have to get off Twitter, and we have to meet in person. I've been, you know, independent education has had an adult. Uh, segment for many, many years now. We have dinner clubs, we have coffee, get-togethers, chess meetups for those who are into that. It's all local. Like, you know, you got to come in person. You know, not you know, COVID notwithstanding, we took a break for quite a while, but we're kind of getting back into that. And um, meeting in person and talking to people who you don't agree with and being friends with them and talking about things other than just politics for a minute um, is is good. And when you do talk about politics, listen, I mean, it's not that hard. It's really not that hard. And one of the things that, and I I know that it seems that it's hard and I know that it, it, I'm kind of being flippant about it, but I mean, just put this in perspective. I mean, I'm a Christian, you're a Christian, you know, 600 years ago or 500 years ago, we would have been killing each other because you're Protestant and I'm not. Right. You know, there are segments of the of the of of Europe that that you know, we had like basically believed in the same God, and the same savior and still, you know, thought it was worthy of uh, worthy of expulsion from existence uh, because we disagreed on something. So I think, you know, I think we've come a long way. But the point is that you can't you, you can't you can't tell people that um, you care about them and then but then call them less than human because they disagree with you it just doesn't yeah or try it doesn't to work you know everybody you have a family i have one we have to eat we have to pay bills nobody's job should be um unless you're committing sexual assault in the workplace and those things that are clearly things that we do not do at work yeah people's jobs and livelihoods alone what somebody thinks about at a picnic or what somebody post on facebook again unless they're saying that they're coming in with a with a weapon to harm people that you report to the police uh you know there are things like that but we now you're right we have decided that when you don't agree with me i will wreck you i will smear you i will tell but that's because they don't know you like and anybody and let me tell you something else anybody out there that has a friend that is being canceled 
the, if you're not sticking up for them, you're not their friend, and you I need agree. to you need to really think about. Because you're next. Today it's me. Tomorrow it's you, baby. There it is. That's the way it works. And today it's me. Tomorrow it's yep. you. That's the that's the most important thing that you've said uh, out of all the things I've read over the last few weeks. Um, you're next. You know, yep. as soon as the the LGB crowd finally gives up on the tease and they start fighting, somebody's gonna go. Yeah. I mean, I just I, I don't I I just I keep coming back to it, but I. My point of view is not is not irrelevant, okay? And neither is yours. Well, yeah, but it's not even irrelevant. And we're going long, guys. But this is an instructive conversation. And I'm going to well, wrap- what I mean is, let me let me come at it this way, okay? So let's say let's say you're having a conversation with someone who is on the opposite side of you politically, right? Okay. What has happened is that one side has taken the position that their side is unbiased yep that's a non-starter okay so let's say let's say it's a religion conversation and i'm talking to an atheist right so an atheist says look uh, obviously there's no god there's no evidence for god and so that's his framework and that's what he's going to talk about he's going to talk about why you know whatever the issue is you know we have to approach it from a purely materialist point of view because that's what we've decided well, my point of view is different. I don't think we're just material. I think we're we have souls with spirits and a connection to the divine. And if we're Christians, we're hopefully seeking a deeper connection with the divine. And that's what it means to be a Christian. That's a very rough definition. Right. I'm sure some people might disagree with the with the uh, right. with the executive summary there, but that's what I believe. What's and the- so I'm coming at a conversation with a certain with a certain understanding of what it means to be a human being. And the other person is coming at it from a different understanding. But mm-hmm. and I'm okay with that. If we acknowledge that we have different understandings, that's fine. The problem we're having is that wokeism thinks it can be dominant and mainstream and perfectly legitimate because it says that it's not religious, but it has come at it from a certain point of view. And there, and you can trace the theories back to a very postmodern, very nihilist, very materialist point of view. And if that's if that's your point of view, fine. But you, that's not the only point of view. Right. And so I'm going to bring my biases, and I'm going to be honest about it. And I expect the other person to to do the same. Well, one of the things that really bothered me about my whole situation, among many things, is how many people told me that I needed to come and sit down and listen to them so that they could tell me I was wrong. And No, I, Sophia, the answer is no. Let me finish. Let me yeah. finish. <laughs> I was wrong. And you and I talked about that at the outset. You and, and members of my family, as we sat down and we had lunch and we discussed all of this before it really revved up, I, I, I don't like this orthodoxy that says like you said my way is right and your way is wrong your way is not even a way we consider because it does not line up and then they tell you that you're doing violence to them that you are triggering them that you're traumatizing them that you are um they're unsafe because you ask a question because that's not guys i gotta tell you this and i'm sorry if it upsets people that's not rational and that is that is the sign to me of someone who's been through some deep emotional trauma. And you should really read Oprah's new book, What Happened to You. And I'm saying this sincerely because I've read it a couple times and I love it. I'm a child that grew up in a traumatic uh, home of violence and anger and alcoholism. I grew up in that every day. And so I don't need to be lectured about somebody telling me that a question asked on Twitter has has wrecked them and traumatized them and done violence to them. That's that's bogus. That's not rational. That's not dialogue. That's not uh, explaining yourself and, and helping people to understand your point of view. So, but it's emotional. I, it's emotional extortion. Yes, it is. abuse. Frankly, I feel abused. It has been traumatic, and I've had to actually talk to someone because I wasn't sleeping, I wasn't eating, because to have a whole angry college campus that you've just 
gotten on as their first ever black female scholar in residence and you're at a school that is 97% Caucasian, I'm just going to say it, and everybody's mad at you and, and yelling at you and sending you hate stuff and and, 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 and putting out petitions to get you removed. And they've not heard a word from you other than your twice apologies that was not accepted. And you were yelled at more because your apology wasn't sufficient. That's sick. And it's unhealthy. It is, it is actually, it is sick. And what happens is the, the way that universities have been handling this across the nation, very few people have set good examples. And so your university, just like all the other ones, are looking around at what everybody else is doing, and they're all placating the moms. Yep. And, and the issue is that uh, I just heard a new term, uh, and it is, a, it, it is basically micro to <clears> – <throat> pardon me <clears> – <throat> micro totalitarianism hmm. so it's basically you know i'm i am a good person and so i am going to destroy you yep. and i'm going to make it public i'm going to publicly be involved in your destruction yep so that i can put myself on the quote unquote and using scare quotes with my fingers right side of history yep right yep and if you're an elite you know well-off upper middle class white college student the first thing you want to do, apparently, is to be on the right side of some history because you've been told, and this connects with the beginning of our conversation, you've been told for the last 10 or 15 years that you were an oppressor. So you're going to find any opportunity you can to be on the side of the oppressed. And it's nonsense because it's not treating you like a human being. It's not treating you like an individual. And it's, and it's not even really effectively identifying tribes. It's just power it is simply assertion of power for the sake of making people feel good about themselves well i think that's right and i'll wrap it with this folks that the reason we have these hard conversations the reason i have on different perspectives and lenses is because exactly what butch said is true is that at the end of the day each of us comes to any conversation we have with biases that's just a fact we have opinions uh you know but you and I have talked about many times that our faith, whether it's your uh, offshoot of Catholicism faith or my Protestantism faith, uh, we are taught a lot about sexuality in our faith. A lot. The Bible has a lot to say about sex. All kinds. Amen of to that. And Doesn't so tell. for anybody to say that the Bible doesn't talk about sex and what you can do and what you can't do and whatever, they haven't read it. And so at the end of the day, what I want to leave you with. <clears throat> this is that we're going to continue these conversations we went long today but this is a good podcast because we we touched on as much as you can in an hour some hot button issues and i wanted to bring in somebody who sees this a little bit differently than perhaps those in the center or definitely on the left and progressive but more hearing from our fellow americans who are caucasian men who might be a little more conservative but their dads their husbands their next door neighbors and White men have a place in this conversation. I've been saying it forever. I say it at our. I just, I just want to say one more quick thing because I think well, we'll keep it under an hour. But I just, this is, this is not as e It's not easy. No. Right. It's not easy. I'm just saying it's not easy for a white dude, a white Christian, or or any Christian, to dismiss an entire group of people based on based on their you know uh, their lifestyle or whatever. That's this stuff isn't easy for us either. That's the point I want to make. It's not we have to actually look at ourselves and evaluate ourselves constantly and talk about how and make sure that we're, you know, we're on we're on the right side of our faith. We're just we're not going to do it the same way as someone who doesn't have that faith. But it's not that we're just casually making statements about issues of sex and sexuality. Right. It's not it's not easy. It's it's not easy for us either. And I think there's this there's this there's this myth kind of built into this where we're just Christians. We like the Bible, whatever the Bible says, we just say that's wrong. We just kind of move on. And maybe some people do that, but not me and not most of the people I know. This is it's something that the Christian church has to deal with. And we have to be constantly aware of the of the paradoxes and the challenges that it entails we have to love 
all humans. Yes, we have to love our neighbors as we love ourselves. And I want to end. And we also, and we can't do it, but we can't do it in a way in which we ignore our faith. And so right. that's that's the challenge, uh, and well, it's hard. We can also do something that says my. I mean, I've had my faith attacked by members of the LGBTQ plus community back a decade. When I went on national television and debated Michael Eric Dyson, by the way, they dug that up at CNU too. They've of course they did. Opinions that went back to that, and no, I do not support same-sex marriage. I don't. That is my right as a Christian. My faith teaches that that is not that I can support. That is for a Jewish person, a Catholic person, a Muslim person, an evangelical, a Baptist, a presbyterian whatever and and the point is but that doesn't mean like i said that i don't have gay friends i do it doesn't mean that i didn't have a gay assistant i did he was the best i ever had it doesn't mean that gay people don't come to my home and come to my parties because they do because they're human beings to your point and i want to end with that i don't see my friend that's gay as gay i see my friend as my friend amen my neighbor i'm not worried about who my neighbor's sleeping with or what color the people are that they date if they're heterosexual. I don't care about that. I like you because you're a good human being because you check on me when I'm sick because you check in ask how my mom's doing when she's sick or you bring me soup or 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 we we have interests and that's butch what you said and I really love it because at the end of the day cancel culture is going to continue to thrive as long as we do not see each other as human beings first with a soul with with rights to just be treated decent and in order with good manners uh and i think that's where we've really lost ourselves i, I do yeah. i agree i think there's hope though i think if we if we make the effort to start to to start meeting people and focus in on our relationships in person and and minimizing uh how much we feed into feed the monster on social media then I think we can start to make some progress and it'll take a lot of time, but I'm hopeful. I'm, well, I'm an optimist. Look, I think we're making a difference. I get great feedback whenever you and I talk, whether it's your pack podcast, mine, I'm convinced we need a show and I'm serious about that. And I think that <laughs> at the end of the day, you and I talking does a lot of good. It's just like everybody loves when George W. Bush and Michelle Obama get together. Like that's everybody's favorite thing because they genuinely like each other. Um, and they've come together being so different politically, but it's the fact that they respect each other as human beings. They treat each other with respect. They know how to laugh. They know how to make fun of themselves. And so I think we need more of that. And I love what you and I do when we talk because we always go there. But I, I, I hope folks, you hear our hearts that we are saying that it's just time that we started to respect different points of view and let's talk about it and let's find out where we can find a place of agreement, because I think we can always find a place of agreement if we really work hard enough. I do. I believe that. Absolutely. No, I, I, I think we can, we can um, love each other more. That's, I mean, it's really, it's charity. Yes. You know, it's one of the seven, you know, the seven virtues and it is a monstrous one and is one we can't do perfectly because we're not God, but we can try and we can, give it our best effort. So I, I really always enjoy talking to you and thanks so much for having me on. Well, what a great way to end the word charity, which is also translated as love. You know, first Corinthians 13, you can read both versions, the King James and the new NIV and one says love and one says charity, but they mean the same. So Butch, we'll do this many more times. Thank you for being a brother. Thank you for all you do. And uh, let's go and let's, uh, let's save our country because it needs saving. Absolutely. I mean, I'm in. Okay. Take care now. Bye-bye. Thanks.